Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area, and with me today, as always, are... I'm Hai Chen Bui, a USA Today contributor and a pop culture journalist in D.C. And I'm Anya Crittenton, an editor and writer for Entertainment Earth News. So, this weekend, we're going to be talking about, surprise, surprise, Captain America Civil War. I mean, there was no way we couldn't talk about it. It's the biggest movie right now. I'm sure it's going to make tons of money. And we're all huge Marvel fans, and we've been looking forward to this movie for years. So we just want to talk about it for the entire episode, and that's what we're going to do. So to start off, I want to ask you guys whose side you're on. I am and have always been Team Cap, so that was me staunchly in the film. So what about you guys? Team Cap. All the way. Yeah. Totally Team Cap. Uh, if, if you had asked me that in 2008, I would have said Team Iron Man. But after several successful Captain America movies developing his character to into the modern age, uh, I really like liked him more than Tony Stark. Yeah. Um, I, loved the Iron, I loved the Iron Man movies, and Iron Man 3 was great, but firmly Team Cap. Yeah. Winter Soldier is by far my favorite Marvel movie, and the first, even the first Captain America really turned me around to Cap, and it was a really great characterization of a character who has always been, like, capital G good, and it's really hard to do those kind of characters and make them fleshed out and interesting, but the Captain Americas did that and went 110% with making us... Um, empathize with him and really love him beyond like even other characters who are more quippy or more interesting but cap has always been very staunchly good and i think that's one of his best characteristics and more interesting characteristics like superman people have struggled with but captain america marvel has never struggled with i think it's interesting because captain america was always sort of a b-list hero in the marvel comics like he was never one of their bigger characters like you know, uh, Spider-Man was always big for them, the X-Men, um, obviously the Fantastic Four was their first team, and Cap was never a really big, like, a hero in the comics, and he started to become bigger and bigger in the comics as, like, decades went by, and of course he was a big catalyst in the first Civil War event in the comics, but I think it's really, honestly, the movies that have made Cap so popular and such the A-list hero that he is now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you could say that for Iron Man as well, especially when the first movie came yeah. out. Uh, it was, you know, people think it's strange that Iron Man was the first movie they did in this in this uh, universe, but I think it makes perfect sense because he was never capital, you know, he was never the, the top superhero when it comes to, like, wh- who do you think of when you think of Marvel movies or Marvel co- characters. So, like, and bringing him in, he was a good like, almost foil to, like, Bruce Wayne, and, and, like, you know, they've got similarities, and it was kind of Marvel's entryway into a, into a cinematic universe. Um, and then they it just ran from there. And he was human, too. Mm-hmm. And now, and with no powers except for his intellect and his super suit. Um, but, yeah, Cap is uh, uh, great. Mm-hmm. Um, just a warning for the rest of the episode. This will, oh, right. this will be a spoiler spoilery review of Captain America Civil War. So, uh, if you haven't seen it, either just, like, stop listening or just bear with it, because... 
Yeah. We're going to talk about spoilers. Or if you don't care about major spoilers, then keep listening. It's like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we are going to talk all about those because there's a lot to discuss in this movie. A lot happened. Um, and we want to get into it. And I think all of us really liked it. Correct? Oh, definitely. Yes. We loved it. Yeah. There's a little part of me, I think, that will forever be the tiniest disappointed that Cap 3 sort of turned into an Avengers film. Mm Mm-hmm. Only because, as a huge Cap fan, there's a part of me that almost wanted it to be only, like, Steve's story um, and Bucky's to an extent. Um, that being said, they did so good with it. It was such a great film that I, that that kind of complaint has drifted away now, and I'm very happy with it. And, I mean, the thing is, it still is Steve's story. Like, this movie, at its heart, is about Steve and Bucky. Yeah. Like I said right after I watched it, I told Willoughby, this was the Avengers movie that we needed last year with Age of Ultron. Um, and we got that Avengers movie we were ba- we were basically promised. And um, the Russo brothers showed that, that it is it is possible to juggle as many characters and give each of them their own character motivations and arcs and flesh them out completely without making it seem overcrowded, which Age of Ultron did feel like. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and perhaps even more than the Russo brothers would be Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, the writers, who yeah. have been, they've written the first two Captain America movies and now this, and they're also writing Infinity Wars. Um, so clearly them plus the Russo brothers make for some excellent movies. Mm-hmm. They work well together. Agreed. Yeah. And um, Anya, I know that you particularly don't like it when superheroes fight, so uh, I'm gonna, I guess I'm asking you, I'm putting you on the, on the spot, why did you like this movie? Uh, even I, the, with with a, a a bunch of characters who are heroes, but they're fighting each other. And I know you hated Couple the original reasons. comic for it. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't really hate the original Civil War. I just don't think it holds up very well. Mm-hmm. Like, I think if you read it now, it it it's kind of a thin story, um, which is why I'm sort of worried about the currents that they're doing another Civil War in the comics now, which is basically Minority Report. <laughs> and no, they're so usually they have technology that can predict a crime before it happens. And of Captain course. Marvel, Carol Danvers is like, we should use it and we should arrest criminals so we can stop crimes. And Tony Stark is like, no, we shouldn't. Innocent until proven guilty. Blah blah blah. Okay. I yeah, I believe those is, sides first of all. Which is like... interesting because Cap is on Carol's side in this one, and yeah. it's basically opposite of what he was fighting for in the first Civil War. That's... And it's yeah, that's also, what I was thinking. Like, the... it seems very opposite of what he believes in. Yeah, also yeah. because in, in, in like, Captain America, Winter Soldier, I mean, I know the movies and comic books are different storylines, but when Cap finds out about Project Insight, he's like, this isn't freedom, this is fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I watched that last night, and I know exactly what scene you're talking about. Yeah, yeah like, yeah. he has a line exactly about like, about, like, you, a crime hasn't happened yet. Like, yeah. Yeah, putting a gun um, to anyway. a, putting a gun to America's head. Continue on, yeah. Like, <laughs> to your point, um, uh, some reasons why I liked it, even though it was heroes fighting each other, um... It's been eight years of character building to get to this point, so I think, first off, the payoff was really worth it. Like, the character motivations made sense, and we've gotten to know these characters over eight years, and so, like, it felt very satisfying. It felt like they weren't, it wasn't rushed into this. Mm-hmm. Um, even if I don't believe that Tony and Steve have some sort of friendship that the movie tries to make us think that they do. Well, the, um, well I'll, I'll, I'm going to interject for a second and just say that I think that the movie didn't make them out to be, like, best friends who've been no, friends forever. And and that's what a lot of people fear that they were going to try and force. Mm-hmm. But I did which think that... Which they 
and what they tried to do was show that Tony and Steve have a working relationship that they're and that Steve's friendship with Bucky uh in, has like and you know that affects uh, Steve and Tony's relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I, I totally no, I agree. Yeah. They didn't turn them into best friends. Which I will I'm very say glad though, for. I will say though that I felt in this movie that there was even more development to Steve and Tony's relationship. It felt more genuine because even though there's like sort of an underlying tension between them and like their workplace um, sort of beliefs. I think that they had more of a respect for each other than, like, if they were just bickering like they always were in the Avengers movies. Like, that yeah. was trying to establish yeah. a sort of tension, too, but I felt here it was quieter and just more, more, more sort of simmering underneath the surface. And they, The writing is so good. It was so good. And I just, it's so good. There is such a big difference. Um, Despite me loving Joss Whedon, I will say, they established the character so much better in this movie. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was, it was satisfying because we'd gotten to these characters. And the other reason, I think, is because... Um, these heroes weren't fighting each other simply for the sake of fighting each other, and they weren't fighting each other except for in that last fight between Bucky, Tony, and Steve, which I'm sure we'll get to. Except for in that last fight, it felt like all the fighting between them wasn't about, like, I hate you now, we're on opposite sides, I want to hurt you. Like, it felt, you know, restrained. It felt like, you know, Clint and Natasha had that exchange of, like, Clint's, like, depends on how hard you hit me. Right. And, like, they're clearly not trying, they're not trying to kill each other. No. They don't want to be, the, the movie makes it very clear that they do not want to be fighting each other. Right. And, and they it's don't clear, like it. Like, the whole airport scene is, like, the culmination of the tension that's been building up for the first half of the movie. And, and it's clear that the point of that airport scene is that the Avengers who have signed the Sokovia Accords are now out to arrest the uh, character, the Avengers who have not, and who are aiding and abetting Bucky, who is a wanted fugitive. Mm-hmm. So it's clear that what <laughs> I'm just going to defend Bucky throughout this oh, no, entire no. podcast. I, I mean, no, like, I, I know you're not. I know you're not. I'm just like, I have a lot of feelings about Bucky. According Mars. to the United Nations and to everyone, they believe that Bucky is a wanted fugitive, um, and so they're trying to get him out and. The Avengers who are now tasked to arrest the non the Avengers who haven't signed the Accords. So there's a clear like there's a clear like rule that's been set up that like why they why they would be fighting in the per- first place. Um, which I think that uh, really I'm glad that they set that up because otherwise it's like well I don't think that you know they this wouldn't come to to uh, to fighting unless there were like specific reasons why. Um, and I like that they didn't just have like, you know, paranoia or anything like attack be the reason why these superheroes are fighting. Yeah, it was a natural movement of the plot, and like they were basically yeah. stuck between a rock and a hard place, and the only way that they could go was to fight. Uh, to bring up another recent movie where superheroes did fight, um, Batman v Superman. This movie did made the motivations much more clear and um, believable than Batman v Superman ever did. It's well, like, and like yeah. I said, like the whole thing of eight years mm-hmm. of character development, yeah. BVS yeah. had Man of Steel, which yeah. already a bad film you're basing your movie on. So mm-hmm. like we had eight years of getting to know these characters and there was a big emotional payoff that was like deserved mm-hmm. yeah. and BVS didn't have that. Yeah. Agreed. And plus the, the airport scene was fun because it was, it was characters so who, who, it was characters who also have known each other for eight years or, you know, thereabouts who work with each other who know each other's strengths and weaknesses and also 
banter with each other, like yes, nonstop. The banter was great. It mm-hmm. was so perfect. Like, and it was all—it was almost like you know they could have stopped at any time and say, "Okay, this, we're going to hash out our differences in a different way." But they were like, "You know what? This is kind of fun." You know, they have. It seems like I mean, Spider-Man was having a like a great old time. It was great. So was Scott. I yeah. mean, one yeah. of my favorite things is Scott. I mean, I feel like I would be super annoyed at the existence of Scott in the MCU if he was played by anyone <coughs> other than Paul Rudd. Who is yeah. just completely likable as naturally as he is. Like, it's just, it's Paul Rudd. If it was mm-hmm. anyone else, I'd be like, ugh, great, like another white guy, it should be Hope. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not, it's Scott. But, but it's Paul Rudd, so I'm like, okay, you can stay. It's- the moment, the moment when he gives Steve his shield back, he's like, I believe this is yours, Captain America. <laughs> and like, I know, with, I, like, I, I personally love when he went into uh, Tony's suit and he was like, this is your conscience speaking. We don't talk a lot. We don't talk a lot. And that's a reference <laughs> to Finding Nemo, which yeah. is great. I will say, though, that this did make me, um, did convince me that Scott is better as a supporting character than he ever is as a main character. Uh, yeah, he just shines so much more in these scenes than he did in Ant-Man, which just, like, it kind of annoyed me because, yeah, it should have been Hope. And he didn't really deserve his place as, like, Ant-Man at some points. Yeah. But as a supporting character, he's top-notch, and I will always take exactly. him. It's kind of like how he and Thor and Hulk are basically best as supporting characters. Oh, man. I, I will disagree about Thor. Okay, well, yep. I actually but will I say that Thor. I really like Thor in the first movie. I'm one of the few people who actually like Thor. The first I love movie Thor. is so good. Yeah, I don't know why it yeah. gets a lot of um, crap. I, I don't get it, because the first Thor movie is basically a Shakespearean tragedy Beautifully directed by Kenneth Branagh. Turned into I will a 90s never understand. road movie, which is two of my favorite things. <laughs> I will never understand the hate. Like, the first Thor is so great. Yeah. Yeah. People people don't like it, and I'm like, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, you're wrong. So wrong. Yep. So wrong. Thor the Dark um, World anyway. has its problems, but Thor, the first one, ha- is great. Yeah. Um, the great thing about Civil War is that there's, like, a real genuine emotional way behind it, and the stakes are very real and deserved, but they were also able to make the movie fun. Like, we were able to laugh multiple times, mm-hmm. genuinely, at these actors' chemistries and the characters' natural banter, like Willoughby mentioned, which I, is so funny. I will say one more thing, and this sounds like I'm kind of shitting on Joss Whedon, who's my fave, but I did feel like in Age of Ultron, all the quips, like, no matter how quippy it was, it did not It did feel like sort of unnatural quips. They were just kind of like Joss Whedon yes. speaking from what he thinks these characters will say, whereas these, all the clips in Winter Soldier are character-driven, and you can see these characters saying it. It's not just like... Did you mean Civil War? Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry, Civil War. In Civil War, um, it is character-driven, and um, you can understand why they're saying them. Um, Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Rhodey has some really great moments, too. Oh, yeah. Great clips. Rhodey's great. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about the new characters who are in this movie. So we've got... uh, Black Panther, who is pr- oh, uh, Prince turned King T'Challa. We've got Peter Parker, who is uh, Spider-Man, uh, and I think we've—that's—I mean, we've got. I Zemo. mean, there's Baron Zemo. If you want to talk about villains, we can talk about Baron. But let's talk about the heroes first. So let's talk about Black Panther. What do you guys think of Amazing. T'Challa, played Her- by no, Chadwick Boseman? I actually thought I would like him more when I first saw the movie, but I was basically blown away by how much I love Vision still. But I watched it a second time, and being able to watch it a second time, you can follow, like, different character arcs more carefully, and I found myself loving Black Panther even more the second time around, because you can see, like, his full arc, and I thought that was really amazing, that they could squeeze in, like, this character's origin story, essentially, but still not not make it feel too clunky. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, (laughs) The thing about T'Challa for me, I really loved him. He was easily my favorite of the new characters. Um, Not only is he a badass, like, he kicks so much ass, but, like, and I've always loved T'Challa for this, even in the comics, is that he's not only a superhero, but he's the ruler of a country. Mm -hmm. And, like, he has so much weight on him, and he not only needs to save the day, but he needs to do what's best for his country and be a leader for his people. And I find the politics of Wakanda and his character very interesting. And while we didn't get a lot of them in this movie, and I can't wait to get more of them in his own film, there were definitely, like, hints of that and moments of him. And he just... I just love the way Chadwick Boseman speaks as T'Challa and how, like, dignified he sounds. He does. And so I just really love T'Challa, like, not only as a superhero, but as a leader. And I loved how they did that in this film. I really liked Chadwick Boseman's performance. I think that he was super regal, like no matter what. And like as Black Panther and then as and out of the costume, like no matter what he was doing, you always felt like, you know, if you made a like Sam Wilson made a joke about like, do you like so you like cats? <laughs> you like cats? <laughs> and, oh and, Sam. And basically like in a, if it was played by anyone who didn't have the acting chops as Chadwick Boseman, you would have been like on Sam's side. Mm-hmm. But like with Chad with with uh, Bozeman, you were just kind of like, Sam, this is not the time. Like, <laughs> uh, but it was still, like, great. And I love that I love that his suit is, like, a, like powered with vibranium and other stuff. And he's got, like, the claws that come out. They're retractable, uh, yeah. Yeah, and that he was, like, running as fast as Bucky and Steve, like, on that car chase. Which is really not really a car chase, but more of a foot race. So like, which turns into a sort of car chase. Mm-hmm. It's like a yeah. Uh, with, and then, I want to say though that but, scene where Bucky steals the the, the oh motorcycle and then just jumps on it. I was just like in shock. Just oh my that was god, amazing. That was, that I was cheering. I'm gonna I'm gonna make us. It was so great. I'm gonna make us talk about Bucky Barnes and Sebastian Stan at some point in this podcast. <laughs> but I like screamed out loud when that happened. Yeah. <laughs> And so, so overall, I loved uh, Black Panther. I'm, ex- I'm super excited for his uh, mo- new movie. And I do like that this is kind of like the origin. Like, so that yeah, we, and that his way, arc. Yeah. His arc was brilliant. Like, wanting, like, you know, hunting Bucky the entire time and then finding out that it wasn't Bucky and then finding Zemo and then not going through with, like, vengeance mm-hmm. and killing Zemo and just, like, seeing... It's like this fully realized arc, even mm-hmm. though he's a supporting character. And also... Uh, the first post-credit scene, um, I think, is the best post-credit scene great. by far. Um, not only as character development for Bucky, but also for T'Challa, who's like, I wanted to kill this man once, and now I will protect him and make sure nothing happens to him. And like that line he has about both Bucky and my father were victims, and if I can help at least one. And I was like, that's why I love T'Challa. Like, what a good man he is. Like, yeah. he's just a, a good person. I have a question. As someone who doesn't really know about Black Panther's powers, um, is he imbued with, like, the spirit of the Black Panther? Is that something that, like, he has to fight and, like, inherit? Or is it well, from his suit that he gets his powers? So the movie implied that it was the suit. And that whoever mm-hmm. wears the suit kind of has these powers. Mm-hmm. And that it's, like... The, the suit is kind of passed down from, like, person to person, and so that's what the movie implied. I don't, I mean, I'm assuming we'll find out more about that come his own movie, um, but the this movie definitely implied that it was pretty much, I mean, I'm sure he's, like, a pretty fit guy and had been trained in Wakanda in general, but it pretty much implied that, like, it was 
the suit. And that yeah. is also true in the comics. Like, the Black Panther is a title. Mm-hmm. And you are, like, imbued kind of with powers. Like, the Wakandan Panther God mm-hmm. kind of imbues you with powers if you have the mantle of Black Panther. Yeah, and so, we don't, and that's not explicit in this movie, and it might not be the case for the modern, for the MCU, um, but it seems like, I mean, like, if he didn't have, if the suit, if he had powers, like, no no man who doesn't have, like, super soldier serum or a powered suit can run as fast as Steve Rogers and Bucky Barnes, like, mm-hmm. as, as fast as he was running. So, like, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was the suit, but it could also be, like, mysticism that we don't know about yet. Um, and then, uh, yeah, because, I mean, there, Wakanda, there are, like, magical elements in Wakanda, and, like, Black Panther, like, he's in possession of several magical artifacts. So, like, there are, like, there's magic at work here. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say also that T'Challa, just as, like, a human being, just as a character, um, in the comics, at least, he's one of the eight smartest people in the world. Um, and he knows, like, physics, and he has, like, a PhD, and he's, like, a trained gymnast, and he's trained in several forms of martial art. So, like, just as a human being, T'Challa is, like, better than you. <laughs> um, and then, like, you get, like, a Wakandan panther god to be, like, now you have all these extra powers, and you're, like, holy shit. It's like, <laughs> one of them, basically. Amazing. So, yeah, so that's kind of T'Challa. And I'm sure we'll find out more in his solo film. Yeah. But, yeah, he's a badass. Yeah. Let's move on so, to the other characters. Yeah, I was just going to say, so we've got Peter Parker, played by Tom Holland, um, in in a fantastic, like, more than a cameo, like, it's definitely, like, he, introduction, like, basically what Black Panther had, except a little bit less, he didn't really have a, a fully realized arc, yeah. um, but he was there, he was, he's been Spider-Man for six months by the time this movie opens up, uh, and he gets a new super suit by Tony Stark, uh, with, like, the classic modern comic book Spider-Man, I said classic of modern, I said classic, uh, Spider-Man, uh, suit that we all know and love uh, with eyes that move and they made that practical because he was like my senses are like blown up to 11 so I need to wear these goggles and Tony Stark was like well let me fix that for you so what do you guys who, what do you guys think of Tom Holland as Peter Parker he was the MVP for me so more than I enjoyed Black Panther I love Spider-Man which I did not expect because I was a little bit reluctant at the beginning to be like oh a new Spider-Man I actually did like Andrew Garfield in the role, despite me not liking the Amazing Spider-Man movies. I love Andrew Garfield in the role. Yeah, yeah. Um, like and- I feel, I feel sad for him. He's he should start a support group for for great actors and terrible uh, and, superhero movies. And basically, I just wanted to see him and Charlie Cox reunite as Daredevil and Spider-Man because they're best friends in real life, and I wanted that. <laughs> I just want them to have that, like, recreate that picture of both of them drunk and just like it's Spider-Man and Daredevil. Um, but I surprisingly love Tom Holland, Holland in the role. I thought he was, like, he very much embodied, like, the Peter Parker that we know and love, like, the kid who's kind of very, very sassy and, like, speaks a lot and, like, has a lot of quips during the battle, more so than, like, he should, because at one point Sam Wilson's like, I don't know if you've ever been in a fight before, but we don't talk this much. And he's like, oh, I was sort of on Sam's side in that point. (laughs) Yeah. I, know, I was all for his uh, his his quips because I feel like we've been deserving of a Spider-Man that is full on quippy mm-hmm. uh, for a long time now, yeah. fifteen years. He's kind of got that G shucks bashfulness to him that I really enjoy in like heroes like the Flash, sort of. In like yeah, well, I think ways. what's interesting is that Tom Holland 
the all the energy from Peter Parker in this film was pretty much based solely around nervousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it was very much- Peter knew he was in over his head, mm-hmm. and you could tell he was nervous. And you know, when he's like, "I have homework to do. I can't go to like Germany," mm-hmm. and yeah. like he was very nervous, and that manic energy kind of manifested from that. And that was an interesting character. It was almost like a coping. It was, it was like a coping mechanism. Like he was just talk. Like some people talk a lot when they're nervous, like me, and that's like what he was doing and he was making jokes and I, I I have to say that the best joke he made and it might just because I'm super biased but he was like you know that old movie guys Empire Strikes Back yeah and then he was and, and, and then, then Brody's like, like Jesus Tony how old is this kid yeah. <laughs> right and then he was um and he and, and he referenced like the AT-AT walkers mm-hmm. with you know wrapping the web around wrapping the rope around their legs and falling yeah. it down and then they proceeded to do that with giant man like what i love it's that inter- it's interesting because like now that we've pointed out that kind of it's like a, a defense mechanism of sorts because like i also do the same thing willoughby like if i'm afraid i tend to uh try and make light of the situation and be oh, yeah. humorous because uh, it makes me feel better but it's interesting it's very okay I really like Tom Holland as Peter Parker, but for some reason, I can't, I'm, I don't know, I didn't feel, like, quite as enthusiastic as everyone. Mm-hmm. I think maybe it was because he was built up so much and everyone was like, oh, Spider-Man, and I was like, oh, we've seen Spider-Man in two more franchises before this, we've never seen Black Panther, can we talk about him for a little bit, guys? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think I was sort of, like, a little, like, leading up to it, I was like, I know everyone's so excited about Spider-Man, but, like, we've seen him before. Like, right. nothing new. I mean, Tom Holland is a new take, and I like him, and I think he's a great Peter Parker. Like, don't get me wrong, he was really great. I feel like I'm just a little bit, like, I've seen this before. No, that makes sense. It almost, I am, I'm also almost a little still bitter because that it's not Miles Morales, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I just wanted Miles Morales, or at least, like, a not-white Peter Parker. Yeah, that would have been much more interesting. But, I mean, he was good, and I think he'll carry his own film well, and he was fun. I just definitely was, like, I think it was also one of those things where he was, like, a brand new character, so I was I was not as invested in him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, when I'm when he's, like, taking scenes, I'm like, okay, but, like, let's go back to the characters that I actually really care about and I know and I love. And I was like, all right, back to them. I will say, yeah. it did feel like in the big airport fight scene, um, which we kind of have been referencing, but it was one of the best scenes of the movie. Seventeen minutes. I mean, it's long. definitely yeah. the, definitely the biggest set piece of the entire film. Yeah, it's and like there was so a, yeah, there was at one right. point where they're like in the middle of the scene, they have like this big, basically comic book splash page of all the heroes basically running towards each other, and it was amazing. It's something that you don't expect the Russo brothers to do because they tend to go for more like character driven um, action like, modern action set pieces, but then, like, they have, like, this big comic splash page, essentially, and that was a great callback to the comics. Um, but anyways, what I was saying is, it did feel like, in the airport fight scene, Spider-Man did feel sometimes like he was intruding a little bit on this conflict. Like, he didn't really know what he was doing there, and he just kind of stuck with Tony's side because, you know, he gave him all his new gear. And yeah. it also bothered me a little bit that he's this 15-year-old boy who's getting beat up by grown men, and I was like, yeah, yeah it was a little bit, like, 
I was worried for him because, like, you know, these I, guys don't yeah. need to kill each other, but they could potentially kill Spider-Man. This is his well, first, and like first Tony big was fight. like, you know, he he fights like minor crimes in New York, and mm-hmm. Tony's like, oh, let me drag you into this conflict that you have no part of, mm-hmm. you've never heard of, you don't know these people, you have no investment. Let me drag you into this massive fight in an airport where there's Vision and Scarlet Witch. And this man who's now giant man, like it's almost like a little bit like irresponsible. Should to- should Peter have really been there? Yeah, well, I saw that as more on Tony's fault than it was on Peter's. I mean, but yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. That was. I mean, like it's it's okay for these characters to make the like not good choices, and I think that even though to the benefit of the audience, it was kind of it was really fun to see Spider Man, but. Like in 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 universe, like I think that there there is a discussion among the Avengers to like talk to Tony and be like, "What the hell were you doing, man?" Um, but he was fine. I mean, he didn't drive the plot forward in any way, shape, or no. form. He was just fine. Yeah. He was the one part of the story that could have completely been taken out, and it wouldn't have mattered. So he definitely felt a little bit wedged in. But I will say one thing I really enjoyed about his intro scene is that Marissa Tomei, who is playing his Aunt May was in a rom-com with Robert Downey Jr. in 1994 yep. called she Only sure You. sure was. Yeah, and yep. it really I amused me. I own that on DVD. Yeah, you do? Really? I caught it on cable once, and I was like, wow. But anyways, I saw the scene with them on the couch. I totally and I was own like, that. Of course you do. But I saw the scene on them with the couch, like, flirting, basically, and I was like, this looks really familiar. Yeah. <laughs> but also, why does Aunt May keep getting younger? I don't know, but I'm okay with it. Yeah. Like, it's I, so Because I like Marissa Tomei. Yeah, no, I like her, too. Weird. It's just really funny how you go from, like, Tobey Maguire, Aunt May, to, like, Sally Fields um, yeah. to Marissa Tomei. I don't know how I feel about it, because yeah. it feels very, like, Hollywoodized, like, let's make Aunt May it, hot. Exactly. Yeah. You have yeah. to have a young, beautiful woman. Yeah. But also, it kind of makes sense to have, like, a single aunt, or, like, rather, a young couple-less couple, like, aunt and uncle who have taken their 15-year-old son. It makes sense to have that age difference with their parents yeah. or whatever than to have like, a 70-year-old aunt. I mean, like you said, like Marissa Tomei was in a rom com with Robert Downey Jr. in nineteen ninety four, so she's it's possible for her to be a, like the aunt of of a fifteen year old kid. Oh no, it's totally possible. I just think it's funny how she keeps de aging. Yeah. It is oh, yeah. funny. Uh, you know. Also, like this is going to sound terrible, but thank God Uncle Ben is already dead, so we don't yes. have to go through that again. I mean, we already saw that with again BVS going through the origin story again. Yeah, like how well, many times? The, that's the great thing about this movie is that for the for the for the couple for black panther and spider-man we've already gotten past the origin Mm -hmm. so that way the solo movies can can be focused on like them as superheroes already yeah um obviously they'll have to deal with like their their past because like the the, you know the big part about spider-man is you know uncle ben's death is you know with great power comes great responsibility um obviously t'challa is going to have to deal with the death of his father because i mean we saw it happen deal with it but like uh, it's i mean that's a trauma that's not gonna go away so yeah yeah. but like um but we don't have we don't have to have two more origin stories of how peter parker we've we've already had two origin stories of peter parker um and they've had to rework the great power great responsibility line once so we don't need to hear another version of that and and t'challa um you know he's already black panther so there's no need for him to be like discovering his abilities like he's already discovered his abilities like he's gonna It'll probably go. be more just him discovering how to be king mm-hmm. that's yeah, what i thought was interesting it's I gonna be it, that that's gonna be amazing because he's, yeah. he's gonna be like a ruler but also having to do, be a warrior oh my god you do see that um, in this movie his struggle between like diplomacy versus action and that'll definitely yeah. be something i think that he struggles with so interesting mm-hmm. um yeah. 
there are so many other things I want to talk about. Um, so it might be a little bit of a longer episode, but I think we're okay with that. Um, I, cause I wanted to mention, I wanted to talk about um, really quickly, just how great the action was in this movie. Yeah. Like it's the same choreographers from winter soldier. And like, you can see it. Like, I feel like this action like moves at like breakneck speed. It's very crisp. It but it, yeah. crisp, that is the perfect word for it. Mm-hmm. And it was it's not so floppy. fun. It is. I yeah. love the action. It, and like, oh. uh, I was going to say when, um, the shield is doing different things than than it's ever done before in the movies. And Spider Man makes a comment on it, like that shield does not obey the laws of physics at all. And I love that line. But I, but it was true that like Captain America just finds new and interesting ways to like hit bad guys with a shield. Yeah, <laughs> big so frisbee. The action, the action was fun, and two characters who I know that HT will want to talk about, and I also wanted to mention them, cause some of the good action too and that would be Wanda Maximoff and Vision. <laughs> I love them uh, both. You, Cuz you guys cannot see but HT is like literally clutching her cheeks and fangirling right now because she very much loves Vision. Yeah. Not only Paul because Bet- he's played by Paul, by Paul Bettany, but I just loved his characterization in this. I am a big fan of sort of non-human characters trying to be human and I love that sort of vulnerability that gives them despite being you know very cold and robotic they're trying and they're trying to fit in and i love that sort of i don't know like baby deer walks its first legs sort of (laughs) storyline now i'm just imagining bambi on the ice and like vision (laughs) ice skating or something i'm I'm imagining vision on the on the ice trying to (gasps) wait i want that scene but we yeah. trying to ice game for the first time. Um, Which is funny because he can fly. Like, he is very limber. Yeah. But mm-hmm. he, it'd be funny if he just can't get ice skating down. Anyway, but, so yeah. I do like that he was, like, like like you said, he was trying to be human. So, like, he was wearing, like, normal human clothes over his robotic body. Which is, like, he doesn't have to do that, but he does it anyway. But, yeah. Um, um, and I really liked him and Wanda. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like this movie gave some them some good moments. I think... Um, I think it was UHD who mentioned that, like, this movie showed how to balance characters. Mm-hmm. And I think they showed that a lot with Wanda and Vision. Like, they didn't have a lot of scenes. And they didn't have long scenes, which is good because they're not the main characters. They shouldn't be the main focus. But we got smaller moments that still were able to reveal a lot about them. And, like, that is how you write an ensemble film. <laughs> like, oh, small scenes that are char- that are revealing about the characters. And it established yeah. their relationship and connection way more than it established any previous romance in the Marvel movies, except for probably mm-hmm. Pepper Potts and Tony Stark. Um, but yeah, I'm mostly speaking in terms of... I keep bashing Age of Ultron despite, like, defending Whedon, but... It, okay, I mean, but it, like, let's you can okay, but you can like someone movie. and acknowledge that it's a bad like. Yeah, you can, yeah. We can talk about how good the first Avengers film is, oh, which the first Avengers film is a lot more fun and a lot better. Mm-hmm. But like, you can dislike something even if you like someone. It's okay. okay. I know. I'm just like trying to like reconcile it. But anyways, <laughs> the, the romance between oh, I I say romance because like nothing actually happened. But you know that burgeoning romance I guess you can see between Vision and Scarlet Witch definitely definitely was more, like, organic and believable than anything that you saw between Hulk and, Scar- and Black Widow. Um, Gross. Yeah. I'm glad they also didn't reference that, except for, like, one moment where I they think someone... where Hulk was. Yeah. Yeah, and she was like, I don't know. Yeah, she was like, I don't and know. I like... That was her reaction. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I just like that they didn't, like, bring up the fact that they had this, they had a weird relationship where and I, I really loved. I mean, we we're talking about all these different characters. I really love Black Widow. 
movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I don't think Brothers she, or... she definitely didn't have. A, uh, she didn't. She definitely didn't have as much screen time as she did in Civil in Winter Soldier. But that's just because of how many characters that we have in this movie. But I think that when she was on screen, she was very important mm-hmm. uh, to the film, um, especially after Peggy's funeral, where she was with Steve. Like she was like, "I don't want you to be alone right now." Like I think that's that's a that's an amazing character moment for Black Widow, which you know. In Iron Man 2, we would never have gotten something like that. And I think that's based on the, both the writing of Black, has, that Black Widow has had over the past couple movies, but also her character development and, mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. yeah. And she, always, she finally feels like the right Black Widow because her mm-hmm. characterization has been very um, on and off and sporadic throughout all the movies. But in the Russo Brother movies, at least with Winter Soldier and then with Civil War, it did feel like she seems to fit where she is. Like, that's how she should be. Um, yeah. And Kevin Feige finally said that they're committed to making a black I will believe it when I see it, honestly. I mean, same. I, but... Until I see a release date and Scarlett Johansson has signed on, I will not believe. Because they keep, they've been saying I mean, that for, like, five same. years now. Never so explicitly, though. So that's true. Fingers crossed. They've never denied that they're not... They've never said we're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. But they've never explicitly said that they're gonna do it until now, but I mean, I bet when they release, I mean, they were they've already released their phase three schedule, so like they're gonna have to do either move some pieces around to uh, before Infinity War, or it happens after Infinity War. Which I, I mean, don't, well, I mean, Inhumans is already off the slot, so it might yeah. be replacing Inhumans. That would be interesting. I would be down with that. And Civil War yeah. did provide a good jumping off point for Black Widow a Black Widow solo movie because we don't know where she is. She's just like, I yeah. guess I'm on the run again. And yeah, she definitely out of there. Yeah. And like half the Avengers are technically uh prisoners or uh, fugitives now. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like, that's interesting. Maybe they're secret Avengers. Ooh. Okay. What? Um but I wanna <laughs> rave a little bit more about about Vision and Scarlet Witch. Um <laughs> So go for it. I'm going to rave a lot about Bucky, so just, like, go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, they, yeah, I was saying, like, about their connection and everything was much more believable. But it was very subtle. Like, you could see kind of Vision trying to connect with her, but you could be like, oh, it, it could be with anyone else. But, like, his scenes with trying to find that human connection was only with Scarlet Witch. And then towards the end, when, you know, Rhodey gets injured because of Vision's blast, uh, Tony's like, uh, what happened? He's like, I got distracted. And he's like, oh... I didn't know that could happen. Neither did I. Neither did I. Yeah, and despite and I, they were one of they're two of my favorite characters from Age of Ultron, and I thought that they were definitely served right in this movie, and it just it added to their storyline and whatever romance they might have in the future, which I think was a good kind of point of conflict for them too. Um, Agreed. And yeah, I was not a big. A Marvel Comics fan, so I'm aware of the fact that, like, Vision and Scarlet Witch do end up together in the comics, but I think that despite, like, having that backstory, I shipped them. I was like, okay, I see it, and I, they're my number one now. As is yeah. good. Nice. Robot Paul Bettany. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's, uh, do you guys want to move on to, like, Bucky, Steve, yes. Sam, yes. and yes. Tony? Yes. I, want- I just want to talk about Bucky all day long. <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about a couple of let's talk about the basically the best scene of the of the entire film, which is uh, can you move your seat up? 
Oh my god, Bucky and Sam. And the, then, like, when they're fighting uh, Spider-Man and after Sam gets rid of Spider-Man finally, and Bucky's like, why didn't you do that earlier? And Sam's like, just like, I hate, I hate you. you. Yeah. That was the best bromance that I did not There's expect, a, and I loved also, it. Also, when uh, Steve kisses Sharon, and then uh, he looks over, and they're both smiling and nodding in, like, like yeah, man. Yeah. I would just, I love it. I love it, because it's like when your high school best friend and your college best friend are are meeting each other for the first time. It's mm-hmm. great. Another example yeah, of this yeah. movie is just, like, amazing skill at serving the characters in only, like, a few short scenes. Like, that yeah. Bucky and Sam bromance was established basically in three lines, and I believed it more than, like, anything else. I was just like, I want more of this. A whole yeah. buddy cop movie of this. Yeah. So, um, Anya, you love Bucky Barnes. I do. Jake Please tell us why. Barnes, Sergeant Barnes, the Winter Soldier. <laughs> I do. What did you think of his characterization in this movie? I loved it. I loved it a lot. I mean, they did a really good job, I think, at establishing him as a victim and not, like, a victim who is forced to be a weapon and not as, like, a mindless killer. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Tony has that line at the end of the film where he says, like, don't, do you even remember them? And Bucky says, like, I remember I all of them. them. Oh, I love that. And it's like Bucky has been through so much trauma um, and been tortured, Um and so I was really happy with his characterization. Sebastian Stan is so good. Like, if you look at his acting as Bucky versus the Winter Soldier, like, it's incredible. Like, when he fights with the Winter Soldier, it's so detached and emotionless and calculated. And when he fights with Bucky, there's so much more, like, desperation. There's, like, a him. panic in like, his eyes. Yeah. yeah, he feels like he's being back into a corner and he's just trying to get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got that really good wounded puppy look. Yeah, he <laughs> he's That's nailed good- it. Uh, Bucky is a wounded puppy. I saw this mm-hmm. one really um, great Tumblr post that was saying, like, um, Bucky Barnes is, like, longest-serving POW or something like that, which makes sense. It's it's yeah, really sad yeah. when you think about it like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, like, that scene when, when he first, is, when he's captured and Baron Zemo comes in as, like, the quote-unquote therapist, mm-hmm. and uh, he first, well, he says the name, and then Bucky's like, my name is Bucky, which, first off, like, ow but then when baron zemo starts reciting the words in russian which basically brainwashes him and like he's so scared that it's happening again and he's so desperate and it just breaks your heart yeah it Um, really does and i but it's a good payoff to winter soldier when he when steve is like bucky and uh the winter soldier's like who the hell is bucky and then the scene cuts but and then and now we've got my name is bucky like, yeah, that's great because he's like he's back. To, we, as long as he doesn't, as long as those words aren't spoken, he's going to be, be Bucky. Um, but he's definitely going to have to live with the trauma that he's been exposed to. Um, yeah. But I, um, and I thought I thought that um, that there Steve's Steve is interesting in this movie because early on in the film, when Crossbones mentions Bucky, Steve kind of almost is triggered because yeah. he, he he says later, you know, when he, when Romulo said Bucky, I, I, just, I was 16 again in Brooklyn. Yeah. Like, that's an incredible, like, friendship, mm-hmm. relationship, whatever you call it, that Steve can be as, you know, in, in charge and in command of the Avengers as he can be. But the moment that someone mentions his childhood friend, like, he loses it. And he doesn't lose it in the same way that the Winter Soldier loses it. I mean, it. The, love, the love story in this film is Bucky and Steve. Oh, Regardless definitely. of how you interpret it, the love story in this film is Bucky and Steve. Definitely. And... And it, I like that they are. I like that they ended up 
being friends again. Like it wasn't like an awkward, you know, I, after, at the end of winter soldier, I was worried, like, are we ever going to get it to get, if, are we ever going to get Bucky as Bucky again? Um, and thankfully we did, and we get to see great character moments, uh, great character moments between the two of them, mm-hmm. especially in the elevator when they're riding up and they're talking about like, like past, uh, d- past dates, uh, and how like, oh, she's probably a hundred by now. He's like, well, so are we, buddy. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, when they're getting off the, the ship to, uh, Moscow. Yeah. yeah. I will say though, um, the one character, despite, um, this movie being so great with all like the different little character arcs. The one character who I did feel was a little bit un- underserved by this movie was Captain America. Because I think mm-hmm. he was the only one who didn't really have yeah. an arc. I think mm-hmm. it's both because his character was so confident in where he was and what he was doing. You know, he's nobly trying to defend his best friends. He believed in he believes in him, and that's, like, the only thing that matters. But at the same time, because of that, that's the only struggle, is that, like, trying to prove this man is innocent. And he's yeah. basically supporting all the other characters. He's supporting Bucky the, in- the entire time. He's basically supporting, like, Tony's um, story and coming to resolve his own guilt over his parents' death and that kind of stuff. Um, but Steve himself is, like, the one rock in this movie. So yeah. it is his movie Which in that, think- like, everything is centered around him, but at the same time, he's the only thing that's at a standstill. Yeah, which Agreed. I think is it's interesting you say that because I think there's a tiny bit of an arc because mm-hmm. after Peggy's funeral, he or during Peggy's funeral, Sharon Carter quotes um, a quote that's actually attributed to Captain America in the comics, which is the one about when everyone else uh, wants you to move, you stand firm and you say, no, mm-hmm. you move. Um, I, I, I find that really I found that really heartwarming that they that they made that a Peggy quote mm-hmm. because yeah. it inspires Steve to take the stance against the Sokovia Accords. Mm-hmm. Um, and that for the rest of the film, he he's basically motivated by uh, both the words of Peggy and Bucky to, to save Bucky. Um, mm-hmm. And oh it's God, my heart and, can't handle this. Um, and I think Anya's like starting to tear up. <laughs> and I'm we're like t- dying. <laughs> but, it, but I think that's great because if you, if you look at it from, the, an arc of Captain America, a Captain America trilogy, we get Peggy, Bucky, um, Steve, and to a lesser extent, Howard Stark in the first one. Mm-hmm. We, in the second movie, we get Steve, Peggy as an old woman, and Bucky as the Winter Soldier. And then in, and then in this movie, we've got Steve, we've got Peggy has died, um, and Bucky is now back to being Bucky, but he's got, like, a lot of, like... PTSD and trauma going on with him. Mm-hmm. So you see these basically three characters throughout their lives and where they are at and, and Howard Stark kind of floats in and out of those stories. Um, and that like the flashback slash recording security camera recording where Howard recognizes that it's Sergeant Barnes. Like that, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, you mean when Bucky kills him? Yeah. When Bucky kills him. Yeah, and, and he says Sergeant Barnes. Oh yeah. And it's like, Oh right. Howard Stark, was still was with these guys like he knows he he knows the Howling Commandos like he's a and it's one of those like heartbreaking moments where you realize that this is still a Captain America story no matter how many Avengers you put into the film um, and I think that they excellently have brought these characters from the 40s into the modern age with natural development mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, I really want to talk about that final fight between Bucky, Steve, and Tony. Mm-hmm. Um, partially because I called that months ago. Yeah. So and did no I. One, 
no one would believe me. I was like, it's going to be about Bucky killing Tony's parents because he did it in the comics too. I was going to say, and that. I, no I believe you because I also thought that was what it was going to yeah. be about. Yeah, yeah, but like I would tell people that, and they'd be like, no, nah, and mm. I was like, see, see. It, However, I mean, it's great motivation. Mm-hmm. It is. However, if Baron Zemo's whole thing was that video because he kept asking about that date throughout the film. Yeah. He didn't know that Tony was going to show up. Like, Tony decided kind of on a whim oh, to go there. No, so, like... Actually, he did because he put in that call for the breakfast for the hotel room that the dead doctor was in. So then that's how the dead doctor got discovered by the maid and then that's how the picture got sent to Tony because Tony yep. had, like, an alert out for it. Oh, okay, yes. so I need to yeah. see it again. Because mm-hmm. it seemed very convenient. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, like, this is awfully convenient for your evil plan. Well, the one thing but that... But that makes sense. I yeah. need, okay, I need, I'm going to see it again, so... Yeah, do it, because you will enjoy more arcs other oh, than the ones I'm that sure. you did the first I'm time. Sure. The one yeah, thing that, that I can... Yeah, the one thing that I couldn't figure out, though, was when, at the beginning, in Baron Zemo's first introduction, introductory scene, where he... Um, attacks the former Hydra guy and steals the the book, the Bucky book from him. I don't know what it's actually called, but um, he basically interrogates him and asks him where he can find, like, the the soldiers, essentially. And he's like, oh, I can do this, like, the easy way with just, like, you telling me, or I can just, like, do this the long way where lots of people will die. But, like, his original plan was to do it the long way where other people will die, too, so he could break apart the Avengers. So, like, I don't understand why he said that in the first place and gave, like, this Hydra guy the the hope. It was, like, it wasn't even for, like, the Hydra guy, because he was going to kill him anyways, but it was for the audience, and at that point, it was just straight out just tricking us into thinking that's yeah. what his objective, objective was. Yeah. Um, so. I mean, I think Zemo was, again, sort of a weak-ish villain. Like, I think he's been better than some other Marvel villains, but, like... I mean, I think he had great motivation. I thought his motivation was fine, but I think it should have been introduced earlier. I didn't like that they tacked it on in the last five minutes and was like, okay, now it just seems like... It was almost like a twist. Like, you were kind of wondering, like, how is this this all happening? And then you realize that he's kind of behind all of it. Um, And I think that they could have built up to that more, because for, like... I kind of knew that the people in that car crash were Tony's parents because we know that they died in a car crash. Um, also, in a and, in a Winter Soldier, you see like during the part where they find the files of all the people that Bucky has killed, and it, it like, says, like it uh, flips through like Stark. Yeah, and yeah, Stark has like, like the X on his it, face. It like it like very much hints that it was Bucky's fault, but it was yeah. never confirmed. Mm-hmm. Um, although I guess if you look at it that way, then Steve did find out about found out if he recognized that that was Howard Stark and he saw that. That's what like, I oh, see that he found out that way. Yeah. But, um, yeah. cause I was wondering in the, when, when I was watching the film, I was like, how did Steve know? But then I realized that either he was, while he was searching for Bucky, he found out about it or now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Zola was, uh, having that fantastic montage, uh, played out in front of Steve and Black Widow that he probably was like, oh, no. No, that's not good. But he didn't say anything about it because mm-hmm. he was, like, too in- too enraptured by the reveal that Hydra's still alive. And mm-hmm. so was I. So I completely forgot about that. Yeah, um, I remember. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, was- so I think Zemo was just kind of, like, an okay villain. Um, yeah. I don't think he was anything spectacular. He's no Wilson he Fisk. Spectacular, but 
I did like that he was like he wasn't like a like a like a Hydra agent or like he wasn't anybody super like in charge of anybody. He was just a soldier who lost his family in in the events of Age of Ultron, and he wanted revenge. Wanted yeah, to... I did like that. There were three characters basically uh, who were struck. You know, most of the villains in. Sorry. Say oh, sorry. It, say it again. Um, you continue with what you're saying because you kind of got like bug. Oh, sorry. I was just saying that he he's he's one of the only villains in Marvel that kind of is a villain because of like not for world domination or for any anything super evil per se, but just he he wants vengeance and and in his head justice for his family. I did like that the vengeance uh, theme came around full circle with three of the characters that we had. So it was uh, Baron Zemo as the villain. It was uh, T'Challa with his father and then it was and the end Tony for like his parents and stuff and it kind of became like this I almost wish that the vengeance theme had like been brought up earlier with like yeah, again Baron yeah. Zima but also with uh, Tony because that was kind of like simmering underneath the surface actually I think Tony was fine but like I like that theme and I wish it was a little bit more prevalent in the movie even because that kind of came like wrapped up what the, all the motivations were about and like how vengeance was so poisonous that it it tore apart like the Avengers at both willingly and unwillingly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Baron Zemo, he's no Wilson Fisk, we'll say. <laughs> Fisk. I mean, the thing is, though, but the thing is, really, he's no Loki. Yeah. I mean, Loki is still the MCU's, at least in the movie universe, like, mm. Loki's still the best villain. And, like, it's interesting that you talked about Zemo just being a guy who lost his family and seeking vengeance, because, like, I found that kind of a weak justification like, i found that kind of a weak thing of him as a villain but like that's loki's I, entire like loki's entire thing is finding out that he was adopted mm-hmm. and that odin lied to him like loki's entire thing is personal and about family and about vengeance and i think it was so much better done than anything they did with demo well see that's i think that's where we differ is that i think that i like the, the fact that this villain wasn't out for world domination where whereas Loki kind of, like, was. He wanted to rule. Loki wasn't in the Avengers, but he wasn't in Thor. In Thor, he wanted to he wanted to commit genocide because he hated where he came from. It was so personal. It was so much that he wanted to be Odin's son. And he wanted to prove to Odin that he was worthy of being his son. Exactly. So, like, Loki wasn't about world domination. He only became about world domination in the Avengers, like, after everything in Thor went to shit. Mm-hmm. But, like, Loki, it was so personal. And it was honestly so, like, small. Mm-hmm. And it turned into this whole thing. And that's why I think like Loki as like a personal, like vengeance thing of like, I've lost people or I've been betrayed was so like Zemo, like Zemo does all this stuff and he listens to a voicemail. And then he's like, Oh, like my family died and it took me two days to find them. And I was like, okay, the same thing happened to a lot of other people. I'm like, it was like, I've heard that story before. I'm going to be the in between opinion between you guys, because I think that the vengeance story was believable and I liked how simple it was. You don't need to have like some yeah. overarching grand plans like Willoughby said for like world domination or for some sort of like greater motivation. I thought that vengeance is simple and it you as you can see it drives people to great lengths like it does T'Challa, like it does Tony Stark. And I thought that was very believable for, for um Baron Zemo. I just wish that it had been introduced earlier or was, like, mm-hmm. more prevalent throughout the movie, whereas, like, I thought that sometimes the movie got weighed down a bit by, like, the Sokovia Accords and stuff, and I thought, like, yeah. the Sokovia Accords at the end even were just, like, an afterthought. It was more about the personal motivations to begin with, and yeah. so I thought and I'm, vengeance should have been more clear. 
And I, and I will say, I do agree with you, Anya, that in Thor, uh, Loki's arc was more personal. Um, I think I was just thinking of his his later the, his later appearances um, in yeah. the Avengers and Thor: The Dark World, where he ends up like becoming like pretending to be Odin. Because mm-hmm. like I, um, but yeah, I, and I also agree that Zemo's arc could have been, or his vengeance arc could have been revealed a little bit earlier, um, yeah. and 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 definitely it, there could have been a lot more. It could have been deepened a lot more, mm-hmm. um, but overall, I mean, like, I was, I was totally cool with like, the, I mean, it's, it's just a different villain that we have, um, that we, that the Avengers haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. These are minor um, critiques that we have, anyways. Because yeah. otherwise, I think like this movie is definitely one it's of the so best good. Marvel movies. Um, also, and- I was just gonna, I was gonna say we can. I want to talk about Tony Stark a little bit, but okay. you, you go ahead. Yeah, well, it kind of ties in because I. I I wanted to talk more about that last fight because we've kind of been skirting around it. Yeah. And yeah. it sort of comes into Tony Stark and stuff. But, like, that last fight is just devastating. Yeah. Like, it is heartbreaking to watch. It is completely so, raw, which is something so you don't yeah. see with the Avengers. So let's yeah. talk about Tony Stark from the point where Rhodey gets injured. Because I think that that's really where a lot of rawness that we've... That, that we keep talking about with Robert Downey Jr.'s performance really comes into play because there's a moment where he's holding, he's like uh, holding Rhodey in his arms and Sam Wilson flies in and uh, yeah, he says, sorry. And then he was like, I'm sorry, man. And Tony, like without even looking up, just takes his, his um, repulsor ray and just whacks him in the, in the chest with it. Uh, wax ch- uh, Sam in the chest with it, and he's like, he doesn't give a shit about Sam Wilson right now. He only cares about Rhodey. And then once he's once he realizes that Rhodey's okay, and that he mo- he gets into a hospital, and then he decides to go find uh, Cap and Bucky in Siberia, and then he finds out. But, oh, yeah, ahead. and he just well, he decides to find them, but then like he finds out the truth, and then he finds he's out the truth. Okay with Bucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he finds out the truth, but then he finds out the like the truth about his parents, and that's when everything falls to shit for for Iron Man. And it's tough because it's like you get you get his reaction, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like but it, at the same time, it wasn't Bucky; it mm-hmm. was Hydra. Yeah, and killing Bucky is not going to bring his parents back. Yeah, and they talk, and that's an explicit line. Like Steve's like, you know, doing yeah, this isn't exactly. going to change anything. And and Steve in that moment, and then Tony in that moment, just said, "I don't care." I don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's, I personally like, I really liked that performance. Like he was so, it's so, so like good. heartbreaking that he, you know, this is this is a wound from twenty five years ago that never fully healed. Like mm-hmm. his, the relationship he's had. Like we don't really know the re- relationship with his mother, but we do know that his relationship with his father is was always really like rough mm-hmm. um so that by the time by when he and when he finds out that you know bucky barnes captain america's childhood best friend i mean even though yes hydra and and the brand brainwashed winter soldier was the reason for it he's got the man who killed his parents in front of him mm-hmm. he's gonna just he just doesn't care he doesn't care that he's that he's not brainwashed anymore he's gonna go for it yeah he's yeah. gonna gonna kill him and and i think that that it becomes so personal like i think we were talking about how the the airport scene is superheroes fighting each other and it's really fun and we really love it but there's no personal stakes in it there's no personal stakes in it and this and when suddenly everything is personal in this final fight Mm -hmm. and it's the three of them going at it 
and you just want them to stop fighting. Yeah. You want them to be like, no, no, just talk, be talk friends. about it. But they cannot um, be friends anymore. Like, it's, no. it's a turning point for um, Tony and just, like, Tony and Steve's relationship and definitely with Bucky. Um, yeah, like so, the fact that, that Steve drops the shield. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. I was just going to mention that scene. That scene, like, broke me. Like, the fact that Steve chooses Bucky. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but that, but that basically Iron Man tries to get to Captain America by saying, like, you know, that shield doesn't belong to you. It belongs to my father. Like, he didn't explicitly say it, but he basically was saying, it belongs to my father. Well, that's what he and, said, actually. He's like, my father oh, made they, that shield. Well, yeah. But, like, in that moment, yeah. like, that, like, the, like, there was so much fury and anger behind it mm-hmm. that you could just tell that like Tony was trying to like but it was he was trying like, to do to give justice to his parents which yeah. he, but which, it was also like a pathetic last grab at it like he's like it oh, was and it, Steve didn't let him get that yeah he was like very yeah. broken in the way that he said it and it was just like it was my dad and it sounds like petty and pathetic but at the same time it was just like him trying to like come to some sort of resolve with it yeah. and he didn't and, honestly and Steve's like I don't need to be Captain America mm-hmm. I, I got Bucky Mm-hmm. And he drops the shield, and there he is. And then he breaks then, the Avengers out of prison. And then Anya cried. <laughs> I cried. Oh, I cried. Uh, what a great emotional res- resolution. I know. And I think it's also worth mentioning, because um, like, I find I found Robert Downey Jr. even before Rhodey's uh, injury. Like, I think the one of the best scenes for Robert Downey Jr. for me was that scene after the speech at MIT when the mother approaches oh, him yeah. and tells mm-hmm. him about the son, because that's what gets him to go to Ross mm-hmm. oh, and totally. basically start the Sokovia Accords is that interaction. And, like, Robert Downey Jr.'s performance in that scene is just so great. Um, and then He's also, I was so... Huh? He's always amazing, so... I know. Yeah. Yeah. But I think and in the... So in the I was, yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, in the past couple of movies, he's kind of, like, at least in the Avengers movies, he's kind of just been quippy Tony Stark. Mm. Um, and that... I, I'm glad to see him kind of be, like, more emotional and more, like, real. Mm-hmm. Well, and I was spoiled for this before I saw the movie. Um, I told Willoughby about it, but, like, I was spoiled for something in this movie that I... It was, like, this one spoiler that I did not see coming in any way, shape, or form, and so it totally shocked me when I read it before I saw the movie, and that is Tony and Pepper's breakup, <gasps> yeah. which I did not see that coming mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And, like, it makes sense, and, like, I liked how they wrote it. Um, I'm a little bit sad that we might never see Pepper again in any of these movies. Like, I'm really hoping that we do get her at some point so we can have some resolution. I'm also sad that we didn't get to see it happen because I think that would have been... I mean, it makes sense, though. It makes sense, but I think it would have been interesting if we got, like, like an Iron Man 4, like, before this that had basically Tony having to make a choice being Iron Man or being Tony Stark slash Pepper Potts' boyfriend... And he chooses being Iron Man. Like, he says he does. Uh, like, I don't think we need a whole movie about that, honestly, because I feel like that story has been told tons of times. And I like I that it was done in, like, a couple of sentences. And just, like, through Robert Downey, Downey Jr.'s performance again, just kind of, like, sort of broken, like, oh, yeah, we're done. Yeah. And she, I, but I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't I mind seeing her in another movie at some point. I would, yeah, like, even like if to Tony Pepper never get together again, I feel like it'd be nice to see some resolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I mean, maybe it's just me. I just wanted to see them act that out, because I think that would have been interesting. Like, I, mean, I mean, I yes. that's because I, I just like them as actors, but that's just me. Yeah, I mean, um, I would have liked to see it, too, but it makes sense, like, organically coming from Iron Man 3, where he basically gave up being Iron Man for her, but then you see him again in, in a Age of Ultron, and you're like, oh, I guess he didn't. So right. it's all behind-the-scenes stuff, and, like, I can see why they didn't do it, and, like, I liked how they didn't do it, because it, it, honestly, if they put it in anywhere else, it would have felt clunky. 
But yeah, I want to see her again. And she, Gwyneth Paltrow and Robert Downey Jr. are like the best of the Marvel couples, honestly. Um, so. I mean, she, she might, sh- I mean, I know that Tony Stark is showing up in Spider-Man and Homecoming. Oh, um, so, so it's possible that she might show up in Infinity War. Yeah, we'll see. I would, I would like to see her again at mm-hmm. some point. Um, yep. But I mean, overall, just like so much great character work in this movie. Mm-hmm. It was just so good, and I loved it. So, would you say this is your this is your guys' top Marvel movie? Or no, I don't I mean, think it beats Winter Soldier. No, Winter, Winter Soldier was still a, was still a better, a tighter film and a, a better story. Um, but. I definitely, I mean, this is definitely what top five mm-hmm. Marvel movies out of the 13, uh, I, where, where it goes, it might, it might be number two. Um, I'm not sure. Number two. No. I'm, I'm so torn. I, Winter Soldier is definitely still number one for me. Yeah. Winter Soldier is um, number one for me too. Yeah. But the thing is Thor and Iron Man three, like my top three are Winter Soldier, Thor and Iron Man three. Interesting. Um, and I'm trying to figure out where Civil War fits into that. Yeah. Um, because Civil War I really might like be number War, three But, like, me. I think Thor is so good. Mm-hmm. I love, like, the fact that we talked a little bit about Loki's arc in Thor just made me realize again how great Thor it's is. so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it Iron upsets Man me so much how much shit people give to it, because it is a good movie, genuinely. It's so good. Yeah. And the character work in that movie is... I mean, it's a Shakespearean tragedy. It's mm-hmm. so Kenneth Branagh. I, you know, I love it. And, like, all that, like, sort of fan- fantastical um, Shakespearean things that we see at the beginning, Man of Steel tries to do that to an extent in, like, Krypton at the beginning, and they do not do it nearly as well as Thor does. Just, it's so well done. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I think Civil War's definitely in the top five, like you said. I just don't know where it ranks. Mm-hmm. Um, but Winter Soldier still won. Yeah. I, I think I just have to see it again and uh, figure it out. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, let's just go see it five more times. Yeah. I don't. I can't wait for it to make lots of money, lots more money than a certain other film. Yeah. I'm sure. Uh, pretty sure it already has, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to see box office numbers tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that wraps up our discussion, our review of Captain America Civil War. Uh, basically, we all enjoyed it. It was a great character-driven movie. Um, the perfect Avengers movie. Basically better than the other two Avengers, I'd say. Even oh, Avengers yeah. 1. Yeah. Um, so let us move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. Willoughby, why don't you go first? Um... I don't. I, can you? One of you guys go first. Can okay. you cut this out for a second? I'll go first. I, I need to think about it for a second. All right. I'll go first. My really, really like for this week is Twin Peaks. So I have been binging the David Lynch 1990 show Twin Peaks. It is two seasons long, um, and it's really good. It's a show that I've been meaning to watch for a while, and it seems like a show that was made for me. That kind of surreal eerie type of series that takes place in like it has like the sort of American gothic feel which I really like um, and it's basically about uh, this FBI agent who goes to a small town in like Northwest America and he goes there to solve the murder of a homecoming queen um, and everything is much more than it appears beneath the surface and more than just becoming like a typical 
mystery um, to be solved at the end. It kind of becomes like this more overarching story about like capital E evil, which is very interesting to me. And I found that it it dealt with those kind of themes in a good way, despite not answering like all the questions about what exactly was like behind all of the terrible things that was happening. Um, somewhat similar to Lost, but I think in a more it gets away with like the kind of non-answers it gives and like the surrealism of it kind of lends to that but the weird thing is that like it solves the mystery like this halfway through the second season and I feel like it's a little bit floundering after that so I'm kind of like in that part where it's like what are we doing now why is this mystery solved and why are we still here um I guess there's like still like unanswered things but it 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 kind of has become a little bit more like soap uh, soap operatic and like oh all these people are in like this small town are having affairs and doing deals behind their backs and kind of stuff and it has that sort of small town not as idyllic as you see um but i really like it um my binge was basically motivated by the (laughs) casting list for season two or not season two for the new revival of twin peaks um with a lot of returning cast and some interesting new cast members including michael Sarah. Um, there's a ton of people that Amanda Seyfried, um, Monica Bellucci, <laughs> a lot of interesting characters and people. So I, yeah, I will, I'm excited. I was just so excited by that cast list. I was like, okay, now I have to watch it and I have to be there. <laughs> I have to, I have to be there for that historic event. And I have to be able to make more references to the show than just damn good coffee. Cause that's all I say about <laughs> it in terms of like that show beforehand. So I recommend it. It's all on Netflix now. Um, you like Lynchian surrealism? Go for it. Um, Anya, all right. what all right. is your um, like? Mine is Civil War. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't really have anything else. Like Civil War is what I'm really liking this week. I I just really like it, and I'm so glad it was good. So I, I realize it might be a cop out answer, but okay. I just really like Civil War. I don't really have anything else. <laughs> we forgive you. So the one that I really, really, really like is that we're getting, uh, we got the uh, new Han Solo, most likely, with uh, Alden Ehrenreich, or Ehrenreich, I'm not entirely sure how to say his name. I actually um, don't know either. Um, but he he's, he played Hobie Doyle in Hail Caesar, and now he's uh, playing young Han Solo in the Christopher Miller and Phil Lord uh, directed uh, movie that's coming out in what twenty eighteen? Yep, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So we got a couple. We got a couple of years for that. But um, you know, when it was an, it was like reported on Friday. Lucasfilm hasn't sent out like a full, uh, like a le- legitimate press release yet about it. But um, I mean, if it's if it's uh, if it is true, I'm super excited for it because I really liked him in Hell Caesar, and I think that he. Like on the uh, like besides the other characters on the, on that like the other actors on the short list I did not like. Yeah. Um, we got I think Miles Teller and uh, Dave Franco were no. two of, two of the people who were auditioning like to be young Han Solo. Yeah. Um, it makes sense because Dave Franco was in Twenty One Jump Street and Miles Teller is like kind of in supposed to be like Hollywood hot rising star. Yeah. Um, but I definitely think that. Alden Ehrenreich can do it because, uh, I mean, he proved that he could be, like, kind of, like, tough with uh, the, or at least, like, kind of almost like a fish out of water uh, it, with uh, 
Hail Caesar and how he was like kind of thrust into the like uh, a plot that he didn't really know what was going on. I feel like that could be Han Solo. Pretty, he was the best young, part of Hail Caesar. Oh, yeah, like especially like young Han Solo, like where he's like not su- like like younger than how we see him in A New Hope. You know, he could be like in his in his twenties. I would like to think that I predicted this casting uh, months ago when I had a very strange dream with, about Alden Ehrenreich and um, Harrison Ford, but it was after <laughs> like the there was rumors that he was in like the shortlist for that role. I'm going to tell you about this story, even though it like, doesn't have to do anything, but it's hilarious. Do it. Um, so I had a dream that Alden Ironwreck um, actually couldn't act, and like Hail Caesar was basically a fluke. So he start, he joins a drama class, and Harrison Ford is his professor, who is like particularly cantankerous and doesn't open up to anyone. And That's so, amazing. like, Alden Ironwreck is, like, up for the Han Solo role, and he's like, I don't know who Han Solo is, because I haven't seen movies, because I can't act or something. And he, like, bonds with Harrison Ford, and it basically becomes, like, this really heartwarming story about how he teaches Harrison Ford how to love, and Harrison Ford teaches him how to act, and there are tons of, like, wacky supporting oh my characters God. the way. It was, like, a full-on movie. I was just like, wow, I would watch this That's movie, amazing. too. Yeah. And then... He becomes Han Solo and dis- discovers that Harrison Ford was actually Han Solo, and they bond even more. And he becomes his second father. It's amazing. That is so perfect. <laughs> I only hope that's how it happened in real life. We to, should to we honest. should write the the lifetime movie version where <laughs> that is hilarious. of the of the behind the scenes of how Alden Ehrenreich got to be Han Solo. <laughs> yeah, based on HT's dream. Right. <laughs> Story credit. That's fantastic. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, if you have any thoughts on Captain America Civil War, uh, what your favorite parts about the movie were, uh, things that you maybe didn't like so much, uh, if you have thoughts on Twin Peaks or Alden Ehrenreich as young Han Solo, you should definitely come let us know. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can comment to us on our blog at millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. Uh, you can search for us uh, on Facebook uh, or, or on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. And you can rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. And where can they find you guys? You can find me at htrenbui on Twitter. And you can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And I am at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Yay. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.